Kalo falava o aunei o koroe Hawkins, si mai alau fa ile Pacific Waves RNZ Pacifica. Coming up first, the policy shift brings them closer to alignment with the Pacific advocacy. Samoa and Australia bond over renewed commitment to climate change. The whole angst that we have against deep sea mining is that Tonga, as a sponsor in Skate, is not ready. Pacific Civil Society urged New Zealand to show leadership for deep sea mining moratorium. Because his influence is wide. It's not just within New Zealand Pacific community, but in the islands as well. And a renowned Samoan health academic becomes the first Pacifica person to be awarded an honorary doctorate from Massey University. Samoa's Prime Minister, Fiamea Naomi Mataafa, and Australia's new Foreign Affairs Minister, Penny Wong, have bonded over Australia's new commitment to climate. They met in Apia on Thursday, Senator Wong's second visit to a Pacific nation in her first 10 days since taking the role. Both also outlined their response to the attempts by China. RNZ Pacific's new editor, Susanna Leiatawa, reports. Senator Wong wanted to be clear. The new Australian government is committed to putting more energy and resources into the Pacific region. We understand we need to work together as part of the Pacific family uh, in ways we are called on uh, to do so more than it now more than ever. We want to make a uniquely Australian contribution to the Pacific family. And most importantly, uh, I want to be very clear that we are deeply committed to taking stronger action on climate. Samoa's Fiamir Naomi Mata'afa acknowledged Australia's commitment as encouraging. The new Australian government, the policy shift brings them closer to alignment with uh, the Pacific advocacy for climate change. Uh, We feel that uh, this will strengthen the Pacific positions on climate change. Only days into her new role, Penny Wong visited Fiji last week to meet with Prime Minister Frank Marama. After the climate, regional unity and regional security were top on the agenda. The Senator's visit coincided with the beginning of China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi's multi-stop tour of South Pacific nations. We have taken consistently taken the view that what sovereign nations do, and sovereign nations are sovereign, but ultimately have the potential to affect the nature of the security arrangements and of the region. So having a collective consideration of those matters is important. While in Samoa, China's delegation signed a number of bilateral agreements. Fiamir wanted to make it clear that this was just a formality for many projects that started years earlier. Our position was that uh, you cannot have regional agreement when the region hasn't met to discuss it and to be called in to have that discussion and have an expectation that there would be uh, a comprehensive decision or outcome was something that, you know, we could not agree to. She says Pacific Island nations need to meet as a region. To consider any proposal that's put to us by our uh, development partners that requires a regional agreement. China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi meets with Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister James Marapi today before going to Timor-Leste. Representatives of Pacific civil society and conservation groups are calling on the New Zealand government to show regional leadership in supporting a moratorium on deep-sea mining. 
Speaking in an online forum on deep sea mining this week, the Fiji-based deputy coordinator of the Pacific Network on Globalization and the Pacific Blue Line Initiative, Joey Tao, says protecting the Pacific Ocean is both a moral and ethical responsibility. We need to really call out deep sea mining, an industry or an experiment that is heavily speculated in Asia. It's one that is a fundraiser uh, and one that we really need to call, call out as it is. Uh, secondly, there is this notion to review or reform the ISA, and it's a challenge and appeal to our Pacific leaders if there is a notion or motion before the ISA Council or Assembly. It's our challenge to lobby our governments to support that challenge. We need to reform or review the very mechanism or institution that has been mandated to administer the law of ISA. The ISA, which Joey refers to, is the International Seabed Authority. Made up of 167 member states and the European Union, the authority is mandated under the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea to organise, regulate and control all mineral-related activities in the international seabed area. In 2019, Nauru triggered a legal loophole in the international seabed legislation, effectively fast-tracking the pathway to mining the seafloor, as explained during this week's online forum by Duncan Curry, the international legal advisor to the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition in Aotearoa, New Zealand. For one crucial provision, which uh, was triggered by Nauru in June 2021, said that if a request is made by a state, in this case it's made by Nauru on behalf of the contracting party Norway, which is a subsidiary of the metals company, and what on the face of it states that if the council has not completed elaboration of the rules and regulations for exploitation, it shall nonetheless consider and provisionally approve such plan of work. Now this has opened a whole Pandora's box. The um, Nauru claims and others claim this means that the council shall complete the adoption of regulations within two years, which is July 2023. A number of other states observe that the two-year rule actually does also say, and if they haven't, then something else must be done. So there's a lot of legal questions around that. And uh, the, the second part of it about the application for a plan of work um, is likely to come up in the second half of 2023 to the first half of 2024. And there's a discussion in the Seabed Authority in November um, over what that would mean. As well as Nauru, another Pacific country looking at sponsoring deep sea mining activities is Tonga. Helena Titakara, manager of the National Campaign Against Deep Sea Mining and campaign manager of the Civil Society Forum of Tonga, says her country does not have the technical capacity or resources to effectively regulate and monitor the large corporations that are seeking to mine the kingdom's sea floor. She says the New Zealand government needs to show regional leadership and help protect Pacific Island nations from extractive activities that will harm the Moana and their coastal resources. The whole angst that we have against deep sea mining is that Tonga as a sponsoring state is not ready, nor will be for a long time because we don't know the science. But I think ours stem from the fact that we care about the livelihood of our people. We know that Tonga does not have the expertise, nor the cash, nor the technical know-how to actually manage any case of deep sea mining. Also speaking during the forum was Tianao Tuyuno. New Zealand Green MP and member of the Pacific Parliamentarians Alliance on Deep Sea Mining. He said New Zealand and Pacific Island countries alike need to learn from the mistakes of the past. 
He says there's a long history of exploiting the Pacific for resources and labour and enabling deep sea mining would be just allowing history to repeat itself. I look at it in terms of the context of the times that we're living in. We are in the middle of a climate crisis. We are in the middle of a biodiversity crisis. A moratorium should be the first step that we that we go to and not the last step. Um, no one, no one, especially corporations, should have the right to go and uh, make a mess of the ocean floor, given the context of the times that we're living in. Phil McCabe, the Pacific Regional Lead on Deep Sea Mining for the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition, summed up the three key areas of concern as being expressed across wide-ranging groups that are calling for a moratorium, being a lack of scientific knowledge, unavoidable environmental harm and the urgent need for reform of the regulating body, the International Seabed Authority. He joins me now. Phil, it was great to hear there from some of the speakers that were part of the online forum this week. Now, we've been hearing this consistent call for action here in Aotearoa and from the region. So what happens now? Yeah, thank you, Koroi. Um, there's a clear call coming from civil society uh, across the region. It's uh, th- those who spoke, uh, who've, who have shared, um, they're representative of, of communities across the region. And, and it's a clear call from them for action from New Zealand and leadership from New Zealand. This this is, and that this is a an ethical issue. It's an issue of moral action, taking the right path here for future generations. I think what we're seeing as as the deep sea mining issue evolves internationally and we're getting closer to the point where the ISA enables the activity via via issuing licenses and the first one would be going to Deep Green, now known as the Metals Company, we're starting to see a sort of a shift in perception around how to engage, you know, by by states, by communities, um, by by stakeholders generally. Um, and I think there's there's a real there's a high level political discussion emerging um, around the need for political intervention at the ISA and and the need to step in and call for wise responsible uh, action and uh, you know from a higher viewpoint than within the technical bounds of the ISA processes and the and the discussion that goes on on the floor in the ISA and, and the developing of the regulations there's no room for that higher view of whether or not we really want to be going down this track. And you know, I think what we're seeing is that this is being recognised now at the highest level, that action needs to be taken to protect our ocean from the real problems associated with deep sea mining. Now, we've been talking about this um, uh, for, for quite a while now, about the pressure being put, about the messages, about the science. What's the response you've been getting, or are you getting any response at all from, from the New Zealand government um, in in response to the calls, the petitions, that all of the the pressure that that you are putting on them. Yeah, well, next next week, next on World Ocean Day, we're we're delivering a petition with forty thousand plus signatures to the New Zealand government, calling for a ban of the activity in New Zealand waters. You know, that's something we we're in discussion with uh, foreign affairs, who are the are the representatives at the ISA. There's opportunity. There's an opportunity right now for New Zealand to be in the first tranche of countries that actually stand up and intervene in the processes at the ISA and say, hold on, let's let's slow this down um, and, and really think about this before we press go. So there's an opportunity sitting there right now. And I, you know, we've 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 laid this out to the New Zealand government several, you know, several times and and will continue to do so. But I think 
as as the speakers uh, yesterday you know expressed, uh, this is a moral issue, and New Zealand needs to take take the right course of action here for the region. A renowned Samoan health academic has become the first Pacific person awarded an honorary doctorate by Massey University for his outstanding service and contribution to the health of Pacific people for more than 30 years. Family and friends gathered at Massey University in Wellington for the presentation. Moira Tulaipatela was there. Fuhima Ono Kaopolotu Enderman developed the Fono Falemoro of Pacific Mental Health in 1984, accepted by the Mental Health Commission of New Zealand as the standard for treating Pacific mental health. He's a well-respected veteran health consultant who has contributed to the health sector with a speciality in mental health for more than 30 years. Dr. Polotu Enderman was one of the first openly for Afafine employees in the New Zealand Public Service, and he has dedicated most of his life to standing up for Fa'afafine voices and rights. He says he shares the honorary doctorate with many people. It's not really about me, actually. It's about really a number of things. One, of course, of course, being Samoan, and uh, uh, and I'm very proud of that. And also coming from a Samoan family, but it's also other things that are very important to me, like the Fafafine and the gay and rainbow community, which I also been, but also being professionally as a nurse. So there's a number of things, but primarily for me, it's about being Samoan and our families. Massey University's Dean Pacific Professor Baladasa Javier nominated Fuima Ono for the award. Because his influence is wide. He's not just within New Zealand Pacific community, but in the islands as well. When people talk about Fonofale and what he has done right early in the piece, you know, it's just more paved the way for the newcomers. He says this is an opportunity to recognise Fuima Ono's outstanding service, great leadership and exemplary commitment to service to others. The head of School of Nursing, Professor Nicolet Sheridan, says she was happy to support his nomination. Fuima Ono Kao is um, a really important um, nurse. He's, an, um, he's a matai, a leader. He's uh, a whawhawhene, uh, and he is most importantly, or as importantly, a nurse. Um, we, we respect and admire him. She says Fuima Ono has always approached health from a cultural and clinical perspective. The work he was doing right from the beginning, you know, four decades ago or more, um, is, is contemporary nursing work. It's the work that we're aspiring to do now, the connections between social and health and improving outcomes that connect um, across those dimensions. Massey University honorary doctorates are awarded to individuals of distinction who have made a significant contribution to the university, the nation or the public. Dr Polotu Enderman also pays tribute to his parents who brought him to New Zealand from Samoa to study and supported him throughout his career. But the greatest honour is already bestowed on me. And that is... Um, when my parents were dying, and they said to me, Ramao, Malelotu Fifia, Malfafta, Lotus Singoma, 
To me, that is the greatest honor. For this someone, as when your parents are leaving this world and they leave you with their blessing. Netball-playing nations in the Pacific are looking forward to finally getting international tests again after COVID forced them into a hiatus more than two years ago. Financial restraints and small player pools have always been a challenge for countries like Fiji, Samoa and the Cook Islands, but a massive blow came when COVID started shutting down international travel in early 2020. Bridget Tunnicliffe reports. No Pacific teams will be at the Birmingham Commonwealth Games in July for just the second time since 1998 when Nepal first joined the Commonwealth Games programme. Samoa only just missed out on qualifying. They needed to play fixtures to improve their world ranking, but Samoa coach Francis Solia says they've had none since COVID starting closing international borders. In an amateur space, and at that point in time, there was no guarantees we could come back to our countries that we reside in, so and we all work full-time, you know, the risks were quite high. Um, and it was, it was just, yeah, it just got too hard. Travel restrictions made it impossible for Fiji to qualify for this year's Commonwealth Games. Vivian Costa, the CEO of Netball Fiji, says COVID also shut down grassroots netball. We were out for two years, effectively, mm. uh, before we um, were able to play internationals. But in terms of local competition, everything had to shut down because of COVID. And, and in Fiji's case, we went through um, quite some strict protocols. So, yes, it, it's been tough. Netball Fiji organised a super club competition at the beginning of the year just to get everybody back into netball in some form. Netball Australia was able to put a series together in March for Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Samoa and Tonga under the Pacific Oz Sports Partnership. Solia, who is New Zealand-based, wasn't able to attend the series and has had to be very creative over the past two years. When we were doing testings, they had to record all the testings and send it through by video. Um, you know, we needed to see all their footage, um, you know, normally because you'd be able to have a camp and do all that. Mm. Um, and so there we had to base our selection like that and then come together as this group and then start trying to connect ASAP all over Zoom. The major focus right now for Pacific teams is to qualify for next year's World Cup. Fiji is hosting Cook Islands, Tonga, Samoa and Papua New Guinea and a World Cup qualifier in Suva next month. Teams have to finish in the top two to qualify. Mei Maui, the president of Netball Cook Islands, says it's been a long time since the national side had a test. They're due to name a side soon for the World Cup qualifiers. Always there's a struggle to take a team to international games. Um, but, you know, once we, once we are, uh, we, we always participate to make sure we get an opportunity to go to World Games or to any of the other games. Um, you know, financials have always been a challenge, but um, we always managed to pull through to send a team over. Maui said it was likely some New Zealand and Australian-based players would be named in the team as well. She said it was a huge blow when COVID also led to the cancellation of the Youth World Cup, set to be hosted in Fiji last year. We missed out on an opportunity to continue to develop some of those players to now be senior players. Um, when COVID came through, the restrictions and travel, it was just, you know, it was quite challenging over the past couple of years to even, you know, continue with the development and continue with the uh, preparation.
Pacific nations have a proud history in the sport at the 2007 Netball World Cup in the Cook Islands. Samoa and Fiji finished 7th, 8th and 9th respectively. But little by little they've been sliding down the world rankings, overtaken by countries who have bigger player bases and more resources. Cook Islands, Fiji and Samoa currently sit 14 to 16 on the world netball rankings list. Costa says it will take a concerted effort from grassroots up to reverse the rankings trend. So one, of course, is, is the Fiji Pearls itself, um, which is our national team, and ensuring that they have the, the fullest support that we can provide. At the same time, we're also recognising that we need a much wider and, and, and longer player base. We're putting it in stronger place, all of our development teams. It's a combined effort. Nebul Fiji is also looking to get in another international fixture around December and is hoping to host an international series early next year. The Oceania Netball World Cup qualifiers for Cape Town 2023 will take place in Suva from the 16th to 23rd of July. Talalena Moneaso, Maile Pacific Waves, Okoro Hawkins Lene, Fafitai, Soifua Maya Manuia. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us.